Blair Palmer and welcome to the Punks in Suits podcast, bringing the leadership thinking, beliefs, philosophies and practices behind punky, startup-y next stage businesses to you, even if your company's not quite there yet. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Punks in Suits podcast. I hope you're very well. What's new here is that I'm putting the final touches to my new newsletter, which will start coming out in the autumn. You can sign up now, actually. Just go to www.thatpeoplething.com and scroll down to the bottom of any page where you can enter your email address. The newsletter, which I'm so excited about, I haven't done a newsletter in years and years and it's going to be great to to start doing one again. We'll have information about any public presentations I'm giving or conferences that I'm going to be speaking at that you can come along to. Useful resources, so that'll be other people's useful resources that I found that I want to share with you and also my own, including any resources that I make specifically for you as a newsletter reader. So any resources that will help you grow as a leader and frankly as a human being, which in my book are basically the same thing. And it will have a prompt for you, a question or a concept to ponder to help you view yourself and your work in a new light. The lovely Ivy will be here later at the end of the show to remind you about that. But meanwhile, let's get into today's interview. Leadership has nothing to do with the size of your team or even whether you have a team. Leaders are people who take the lead. That's about it. And you can do that no matter what your situation, running your own company, working for a big business, even frankly, if you're not in paid employment right now, you can still be a leader. And today's guests are truly leaders. Emily Thompson and Kathleen Shannon are the presenters of the Being Boss podcast, a show for creative entrepreneurs who want to make a success of their businesses and their lives. This show is huge and I'm a fan. In fact, I'd make no secret of it. I'm a massive fan of the show and actually it was one of my inspirations to start my own podcast. Emily is the founder of Indie Shopography, a design and strategy studio where she and her team create websites for creative entrepreneurs. And Kathleen is co-founder of Braid Creative, which does personal branding for creative entrepreneurs who blend work and life. Working with a big company is not the only option anymore. And that is a big threat to big business. Smaller companies are often more nimble and efficient, not always, but they tend to be because the people that run them are so close to the cutting edge of their business, they cannot afford to be inflexible and inefficient. They also attract the creative talent that finds it hard to work within the constraints of big business as it is today. And sometimes, and here's where one of the really big threats comes from, it's former employees who go on their own either to become suppliers, charging a much higher rate to the companies they used to work for than when they were employees, or even worse, competitors. In the United States, about 55% of all jobs are in small to medium-sized companies, and in the EU, about two-thirds of people work for SMEs. Now, as you know, I see it as my role to bring you these kinds of voices, 
people who have basically never wanted to work in large companies, but who are making a really big impact, a global impact, despite not having all the infrastructure. In fact, possibly because of not having all the infrastructure that big business has. There are lots of ideas in this interview for entrepreneurs, but also lots of thoughts and ideas relevant to you as a leader or aspiring leader in a bigger business or in whatever walk of life that you're in. You can adopt some of this mindset and some of the practices and you will be the better for it, even if you remain within a big company. And your own company will benefit too, even if they don't realise what you're secretly doing that's making you so amazing. So without further delay, let's go to the interview. Emily and Kathleen, welcome. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. It's so exciting. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm like a major fan. You have kept me company on long drives, on airplanes, even if I might say in hotel rooms. You've been great company. And uh, <laughs> we love keeping you guys company. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I always love when people are like, you know, you help me go to sleep at night, or I hang out with you while I'm washing dishes, or in sometimes weird things, and it can get a lot. But overall, we love that we get to sort of follow people around um, in their lives while sitting over here while you guys do your dishes. Exactly. <laughs> Well, when you listen back to this, maybe you'll be doing your dishes and we've got each other back. So that's good. Probably so. Probably so. <laughs> there's, there's a lot I want to ask you about so much, actually. But I, I just wanted to kick off by explaining why I wanted you on the show um, with some stats, actually, some cool stats. So 48% of Americans want to be entrepreneurs. 48%. I find that extraordinary. of 20-somethings want to start their own business, and the over 55s are the fastest growing demographic of entrepreneurs at this moment in time. So I just think this whole kind of running your own business thing is, is massive right now. And your Being Boss audience are these people, creative entrepreneurs who've either left a bigger company or they never wanted to be in one in the first place, Well, they do kind of have a proper job, but they also have their side hustle going on. What's going on? Like, why why this draw to going it alone? I have a couple of thoughts about this. And I think that with the age of the internet, and the internet's been around for a while, but Emily and I were just talking about this the other day, how in the grand scheme of things, it's still kind of brand new. And we jumped into building online businesses really at the beginning. Like we were imagining ourselves being little old ladies one day telling our grandchildren how we were pioneers of the online business world. And so I think putting that into perspective is really important whenever it comes to this growth in entrepreneurship. And I think that the internet for as much as people slam it, for as much as people talk about how we're losing face-to-face connection and um, you know, fake news and all the things that the internet haters, trolls, all the things that the internet is bad for, what it is really great for is connecting us to each other, connecting, making knowledge accessible at our fingertips. And it's really almost democratized our ability to be entrepreneurs. You don't have to have 
have gone to business school to figure it out. It's just kind of the wild, wild west when it comes to making up what you want your work and life to look like. And so that's really the message that Emily and I are sharing on our podcast and in our own work and lives. I agree with that. I think the internet has definitely given us an avenue to go at entrepreneurship in a way that has not been available to just people before. We have the ability to to sell ourselves and to sell our wares or whatever it may be to people all over the world via the internet. So we, we are able to tap into larger markets and different uh, geographic regions and all of those things because of this tool that we have. But I think another side of that also, at least this is what I'm hoping it is, is a desire for people to take back responsibility for themselves, where you are not only responsible for what it is that you're creating and selling, but you're also responsible for your own, for your own hours that you work or the benefits that you have or how it is that you work and who it is that you work for. I think that over the past couple of decades, um, the workforce has definitely went much more corporate. People just get corporate jobs. But I feel as going back to what was happening before there were corporations with this idea that you are responsible for yourself and you're not going to give away all of your power to big corporations who don't know who you are. Um, And I I don't think that all corporations are like that now, but I think there has been enough of that, that it's driving a move toward entrepreneurship that is on some level, probably a product of that. Yeah. And I, you know, Emily, hearing you say that got me thinking about even just generational trends. And I know that millennials also get a really bad rap, (laughs) but I think that part of, um, I'm at the very like oldest age of millennial born in 82. So I kind of ride that line a little bit, but I think that millennials get a bad rap for kind of being the me generation and I'm a special snowflake. But what I think that that has lent itself to is defining what success looks like for you. So I recently heard that not to go off on too much of a millennial tangent, but that (laughs) millennials aren't moving out sooner. They're not getting their driver's license. Um, They're not getting their driver's licenses the day they turn 16, like probably Emily and I myself were. Um, We really crave that independence, but I think that what millennials do bring to the equation is a new way of thinking and a little bit of innovation. So I think that your statistics were really interesting, Blair, as far as that over 50 crowd being the ones that are in this movement as well, because I would have thought it was more of a millennial thing. I wonder if the 50 plus crowd is getting inspiration or motivation from these trends. I I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's super interesting. Yeah, I I wonder if that that is true because I wonder if it's almost infectious upwards. So where in the past you either would have had generations fighting against each other. So if your older generation did it, you would do the opposite. Now it's like young people or younger, younger than me, are, are doing stuff that the rest of us are sitting around thinking, hang on a minute. Why are they allowed to take a sabbatical and go and travel the world, you know, and then walk back into their job after a couple of years? Why are they allowed to live rent free, you know, with their parents? How about we move in with our kids and we live rent free and we start our our little business up that way? 
Yes, I love that. That makes me feel better. My daughter yesterday was like, whenever I'm older, we're going to move to the beach and I'm going to buy a house and you guys are going to live with me. And David and I were like, "Uh, we don't know that you're going to want to or that we're going to want to, but that totally paints a picture that I could see happening one day. So that makes me feel much better. But I totally agree with that. And I also really think that also plays into the idea of taking responsibility for yourself. I feel like possibly that older crowd is looking back at their lives spent, you know, working for the man or working for someone who isn't solely themselves and thinking, now I have the chance to really do the thing I want to do. So let's do it. Um, so I think there are probably multiple things playing into all of those. Um, and no matter what is the biggest factor, I also find it fascinating. Can I share some a thought that I'm having on oh. like corporations as well? Because Emily and I want to build a multimedia conglomerate with Being Boss, and we currently have seven people on our team. So we are certainly um, not just solopreneurs. We have each other. We have our business partners. We have a lot of things going on. And I think that the entrepreneurial spirit is also creating new kinds of corporations. Um, so I'm thinking about a lot of the tech startups right now, how they offer flexible hours or better maternity leave, paternity leave. They're offering benefits that really lend themselves to the entrepreneurial spirit, being able to work remote so that you can work from anywhere. So I think that the rules are not just changing for entrepreneurs, but the rules are changing for how on their businesses from Google to the little mom and pop shops to things like being boss and our size and the kinds of companies that we're trying to build ourselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, listeners to this show will have heard me go on and on about some of these changes that are coming. And, and it's a warning really in a way to those big businesses and small businesses who think that the way companies have been run for the last 250 years it's kind of how it's going to carry on. You know, they'll be the big boss and, you know, as you say, we'll work for the man and that's how we'll do it. Actually, I'm uh, giving a speech next week um, to a big, really big 60,000 person organization. Uh, I'm not speaking to 60,000 people. I'm speaking to the, to the UK guys, but that's the size of the business. And they are rolling out self-management within the organization so they're not, uh, they're not imposing it because actually you can't impose self-management. That's kind of the point. Um, but they are rolling out these concepts. And this is a big company. And I think they realize if they don't do it, they're going to lose so many people who go off to, to SpaceX or to start their own little businesses or to, to um, join some funky little business like, like yours and grow that. And I, I think they realize that they're, they're leeching this talent if they're not careful. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that that piece, that sort of self-management is one of the things that I've definitely lended to the success of our own team. And it's something that we we obviously don't push because again, you can't push self-management, but we give them, we give our team as much room as possible to work the way they want to work and to manage their own systems and processes and to show up whenever, whenever they want to. More or less, we all know when we're going to be around. We all know that we're most productive when we're all around together, um, but they make the decision to be there whenever we can all be most productive. And I absolutely see that as one of the points that has made our team so happy and so flexible and so productive. Kathleen and I were just saying like our team is able to produce so much and we run with a bar that is so high, um, but it's also super chill. 
we just unplugged for uh, for the past two weeks for vacation, and our team just did their things, and it was perfectly fine. We didn't have to check in. We didn't have to do anything because we've set up the systems to allow them to completely self-manage. And even though they work for a company that tells people that they can work for themselves, they like working for us, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that is that is so cool. So let's just backtrack a little bit because... I just, I wasn't even clear. I get the impression that you two have never worked for a big company, that you've always done your own thing. Is that right? We have both had, I guess, the last job job I had was in college. So I worked for a big box store, or I guess like a small box store, a chain of retail stores um, in a couple of different locations. I opened a couple of like fashion retailers. I did some, uh, some management of some, you know, retail stores and, um, but I quit that during college and never looked back. And then uh, right out of college, I actually was working as a senior art director at an advertising agency. And I feel like I was, I was there for five years and I started to see this trend of what was happening online, just even through having my own personal blog and really starting to see the opportunities to define my work and my life on my own terms. It was terrifying to quit that job at the advertising agency. But within the first year, I was making the same salary on my own as I was as a senior art director. And I've never looked back since. I'm basically unhireable now. Same. No one wants to, no one wants to hire me. No. <laughs> no everyone I, I probably wants to hire you. It, they just can't afford it. <laughs> that too. That definitely do. <laughs> no, I mean, could, could you even imagine... You know, I've been doing this now for 17 years. I am definitely unhirable. I would be a pain in the ass to any company. And, and the thing is, they, they want that from me in little bits. That's why they would have, but they don't want that every day, all day. Definitely. I totally, I totally um, agree with that. And I feel that as well. I feel like, I feel like I would be, I have this dream kind of, of going into retail stores and just telling them how it's done and like consulting, helping them set it up, helping them get their systems and management in place for sure. Um, but I could never be someone's manager. Like they would fire me because I would be a total pain in their ass. <laughs> So tell me a bit about the, your audience, because you know your audience really well. I mean, your community is so vibrant. It really feels, you, you call it the clubhouse, and it really has that kind of clubhouse feel. And then you meet people face to face, which, you know, shocker in this day and age, they actually come and meet you in person. What kind of people are they? Oh, they're uh, so cool. We are amazing. <laughs> we have the best tribe. We do. Um, they're all creatives. They're all photographers or makers or web designers or graphic designers. We have a lot of coaches. We have people who are like us in that they've worked for corporations or maybe even not and decided that they wanted to take their life into their own hands and try to start a business. Um, because we do talk about, you know, there's, be, there's a difference between a hobbyist, someone who just who likes to make on the side or coach on the side or design on the side. And there's people who put the intention into it to actually build a business. And the people we most connect with are the ones who are the entrepreneurs. They want to make a business, uh, a profitable business out of selling their skills, whatever they may be. 
And so those are our people. Um, a lot of them are um, obviously interested in building families or building families. So they're also having to juggle what it's like to build a family and a business at the same time. Um, and they want to do work that matters and make an impact. So it's not just about, you know, hire, or getting a client, designing the website, and then ending the project and it being over, it's about having this business with a purpose that gives back or nurtures relationships or gives to a community. Um, our people are not only creatives, but they're, they're creatives who want meaning out of their creativity, which, is, which makes them a really great group of people. Yeah, our people also really want to be able to be who they are 100% of the time. So they want to buck the norm of the you know, rules that have been set of what professional looks like. And I'm putting professional in air quotes because that has changed. So they really want to blend who they are into the work that they do in order to find creative fulfillment. Because Emily and I, myself, we can both attest to the fact that a job is still a job. There are days whenever we're not loving every single minute of it. And that's like kind of an entrepreneurial myth I want to bust. It's not always puppies and rainbows, and if it is, you're probably not doing it quite right. Like there should be days where you kind of want to throw up a little bit or you think that this is just too hard or it's too much or I have to make another big decision. Um, but at the end of the day, it really is about knowing that you showed up as you are throughout your entire day from your morning workout to a podcast interview to a meeting with your team to a client facing meeting that you are just able to be who you are. And so kind of a really funny small example of this is that I'm looking at all three of us sitting here and we all three have curly hair. And there was <laughs> once upon a time that having like a wild curly hair, you know, and especially like I think women of color can especially speak to this, but for the three of us, just having curly hair was kind of seen as unprofessional in the workplace. We would have to straighten it or put it up in a bun and we're all sitting here with like wild curly hair. So that's just like kind of a small, like a very small, you know, anecdote as to what this might look like to blend who you are into the work that you do and to be yourself hundred percent of the time from your outward style to your inner values. That's something that Emily and I are always preaching to our audience is really looking at your values. And some of our clubhouse members will ask us, okay, are these values for my business or for myself? And we're like, go ahead and circle them for yourself and for your business. But is there a difference? You know, if you need to approach it that way, sure. But at the end of the day, we want your values to be the same in your family and in your work and in your life and uh, how you approach all the things that you do. So that's the biggest thing is that we want to help people blend who they are into the work that they do. And we want to help them make a profit doing what they love. There is, you know, this idea that if you're doing what you love, you can't make good money. And we've even seen that from surveying our audience. A lot of them really only want to make between 30 and $60,000 a year. That was shocking to me and Emily. We were thinking that everyone wanted to be this six-figure entrepreneur. And that's kind of a number that's going around the internet. And they're like, no, no, I just want to be able to pay my bills. So we want to empower them to be able to pay their bills. And we want them to know that there's no shame in making that six or seven or eight figures. You know, right, because we definitely want them to pay their bills, but we also want them to retire. <laughs> <laughs> and 
that's something I feel like we're preaching just as much as being who you are is be who you are, get paid, but also think about retirement. Well, you know, it's really interesting as you, you say that because I think a lot of people, so as, as people move up in a bigger business, they are expected to exchange by and large, they're expected to exchange their quality of life, their amount of time at home, their sense of peace for money so and power. So you move up and you say, okay, the sacrifice I'm making is I won't have much of a life, but I'll have more influence and I will have more money. And so when you work for yourself, I, th- I wonder if there is a thing of, well, if I'm enjoying it, then what's the sacrifice I'm making that means I deserve the big bucks? Because this kind of, this, you talked about myths. I think this is really one of the myths are hardwired into our, into our society over 200, 300 years of industrial thinking. And actually, you, it, it really messes with your brain when you think I'm allowed to earn money and enjoy earning it. That's it. That really busting that myth is huge, right? Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I also think another thing that plays into this is I think for many generations and maybe forever, I mean, the idea has always been work hard and get paid. And so you are busting your ass at whatever it may be to get paid. And one of the things that Kathleen and I are always, always preaching is don't work harder, work smarter, because there are ways that you can systemize things and delegate things or just be super discerning with what it is that you decide to do with your time that allows you to work smarter, get as just as much done or make just as much impact with what you're doing um, or with actually doing less. And then you're able to, um, you're able to make more money without killing yourself in the process. So I've definitely felt in the past couple of years for me, being one of those people that have grown up in a household where it was all about working hard. It didn't matter how smart it was. Actually, smart was probably bad because you weren't working as hard um, to break myself of that, that mindset as well. And I've totally found my groove <laughs> in the past two or three years. And in finding the groove of working smarter, not harder, I work less and get paid more. So, and I don't feel guilty about it. I'm very happy about it. And I'm able to bring that sort of expertise and perspective to the people that we talk to. Um, So let that be a myth that we can hopefully break here as well is that it doesn't have to be working hard. You can make the same amount of impact by working smarter. So you you mentioned, Kathleen, about this, this myth that needs to be busted about how um, you know, we're all living in fairyland and, you know, actually there are days when it's, when it's tough. What, what are some of the other misconceptions you think that you come across where amongst people who don't work in this way that, that, you know, the people that say, oh, I could never run my own business. What, what are some of the assumptions they're making about us and are they right? Well, I, I don't know about the assumptions about us necessarily, but some assumptions about themselves. One of the things I see the most is just benefits, wanting someone else to pay your health insurance. I think it's a really tricky topic to talk about. And even by the time this episode goes live, who knows what what it's going to be. But there are a lot of creative entrepreneurs out there paying for their own health insurance. And sometimes they're paying just as much as they are working for somebody else. So I feel like this fit situation is kind of a 
a trap that some corporations or not even corporations, just this mindset of benefits is really super limiting to people striking out on their own. Um, no one could ever give me the benefits of six weeks of vacation a year, for example. You know what I mean? And so my benefits I'm able to create working for myself far outweigh the benefits I would get from a corporation or someone else simply paying my health insurance. I'll send out an email to be able to pay my health insurance for the month, if that makes sense. Um, so that's one thing. But I think that there are some of the other myths about working for ourselves might be just, well, this isn't a myth so much, but I think that one of the things that keeps people from working for themselves is this feeling of uncertainty. And they would rather, oh, this is something I see a lot. People who have an entrepreneurial spirit in a corporation wishing they could get fired. I think that this is so funny because they still want to give the decision and the control to someone else. If I could just get fired, it would give me the opportunity to finally try my entrepreneurial idea. Well, why don't you stop putting your decisions in the hands of someone else who is an entrepreneur themselves and probably freaking out themselves? Like they're I guess the main thing I want to try to say here is that security is an illusion. Whether you're working for someone else or working for yourself, there is no such thing as security. You can have a million dollars in the bank and still feel incredibly insecure. So that's, I think, a little bit of a myth or mindset or misconception. People think that, you know, entrepreneurs, we don't know where our next paycheck is coming from. And like, and what does, what does it all look and feel like? You could just, you could go broke at any moment or whatever. If you're working for a big company, you can get fired at any moment. And at least as an entrepreneur, if you're good at what you do, you would see it coming and you would have to make a lot of wrong decisions in order for your business to fall apart. Whereas if you're working for a corporation, you may feel like you're secure, but your manager could just up one day and hear from someone above him who has heard from someone above him that they need to make cuts and you're the one and you could never see it coming. Like that's not security. Then there goes your 401k and all of your benefits and all of these things. I actually, I would feel less secure in a big company than I do working for myself because I see it coming. I know what, it, I know what's happening. I know all the things that would have to go wrong. And I trust myself to fix the things that would go wrong before they start snowballing into me losing all of my security. Yeah, I, I, you're right. You know, it's that security thing that, as you say, stops a lot of people. It is an illusion. And, and I've seen the thing where people, so they wait to be fired and they also wait sometimes for years to be made redundant. So they'll get this payout and somehow this money that they get, firstly, will make up for the two or three years they were waiting in a job that they hated for the money. Um, but also somehow that this bunch of money will will mean that they don't have to go through any pain <laughs> when they start their own business. And, and, you know, you can burn through that redundancy payment really quickly if, if you don't have a good business in place. So it, it even that feels like security and even that is fake. For sure. It's, it's definitely one of the things that we run into most with, with our listeners and especially our clubhouse members is, or the ones especially that are leaving large companies to start their own business is this mindset shift around security and how actually what you're building will be more secure than the thing you're probably leaving. Um, and most people don't see it that way. And that's fine, but we totally take it upon ourselves to show them the way. <laughs> Do you think that, um, that big business 
so I don't want to set big business up against entrepreneurs. And in fact, big business are my clients. And, um, you know, a lot of people who run their own businesses work in partnership with big companies and, and all credit to those big companies for working with little consultancies and, and sole traders and things because they're getting something kind of special. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to set that up, but I do wonder if they, they, as a generalization, uh, misunderstand a little what it's like to run your own business or what kinds of people run their own business. Is that something that, that you've ever thought about or that you've experienced? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, and just to say, Kathleen and I also love big businesses. Amazon is one of my favorite businesses of all time, for sure. Um, however, I do hear they don't treat their customer or their, their employees, employees super well. Yeah. That may just be here today. So, um, but I do think, I do think that there is enough of a difference between big companies and small or micro businesses that they're probably is a misunderstanding as to what the goals are. Um, whenever you're a big company, one of your number one things is simply profit um, at the cost of so many things that small businesses or micro businesses, you know, can hold their values above profits a lot more easily than, you know, a couple of old white dudes in a boardroom could. Um, so I do think that I do think there is a little bit of a difference. There's probably a little bit of a different hierarchy of, of responsibilities and, um, and I don't know, just the choices you have to make. I haven't had enough conversations with those people to really like get into a great debate and give you some good, um, some good insider information. But I know that from my own interactions with people who are more in tune with big businesses, sometimes they look at me like I'm a little nuts and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think that the thing I see a lot are people feeling like they're not credentialed enough or experienced enough or they don't have a business degree. Like that's always the thing. Well, I can't be an entrepreneur because I don't have a business degree and we don't have business degrees. But like I was saying at the beginning of our conversation with the internet, there is so much knowledge at your fingertips. Um, but all of that said, I will say that entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. And I don't think that necessarily everybody should be an entrepreneur. Sometimes we can create things that are so much bigger than ourselves whenever we are working on a team. So for example, my husband is working to become a self-driving car engineer. He couldn't do that by himself. He's going to be, you know, much better serving the world and serving his own skill set to be working for someone like Ford or Mercedes or BMW. I'm hoping for Mercedes. <laughs> I love that car. <laughs> but, you know, that's just an example of the fact that not everyone is not necessarily cut out to be an entrepreneur, but maybe that's just not in their goals. Maybe they can get more done by being on a team and working for somebody else. But my hope is kind of what you were saying as far as, you know, let's not be anti-big business necessarily, is that big businesses will take cues from people-driven and purpose-driven entrepreneurs who do put values first. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could get us out of so many systemic and political problems if corporations would have more of a conscience. I also think that one of the things that I love most about small business as related to big business is our ability to be nimble and fast with making decisions and implementing. Whenever shit hits the fan or whenever we decide to make 
changes or if we, um, whatever we decide, it's so much easier for us to turn around and do the thing. Whereas big companies don't have that, that super nimble, that super nimble quality. And I think that's something that even as we grow, Kathleen and I keep in mind consistently, like we can grow, but we will only grow to the point where we're able to stay nimble. Anything larger than that, at least for us, at least at this moment, isn't worth the trouble. Um, so that is one of the things that I do love. And one of the big differences that I do see is that small businesses are able to stay so much more nimble than big companies. So, okay, I wanted to kind of change the direction a little bit because on the podcast, on the Being Boss podcast, you interview such amazing people. And one of the things, so some of it is proper business strategic, how to run your business, how to get better at branding yourself, your company, all of that. But a lot of it is more of the personal development side of things. And some of the stuff that you do is really quite out there. Uh, I certainly would be out there for, for the big companies we're talking about. So firstly, I'm just curious about how important your own self-development has been to you as you've been growing your businesses. Yeah. So earlier we were talking about the insecurity of being an entrepreneur, but how security is an illusion across the board. And so for me, becoming an entrepreneur forced me to cultivate faith that I had not had before. And speaking even on a spiritual level, I had identified as an atheist for many, many years. And it's not like I became an entrepreneur and then was born again by any means. <laughs> it was more of like, okay, I've got to surrender a certain amount of control. You know, like I can only hustle so much. And this is something I think about daily and I don't quite have the answers, but something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, where does the, the hustle end and the, the faith begin and where does, um, free will meet with this idea that there is a universal, a universal plan or that the universe is rooting for me or has my back. Right. And so I had to cultivate different rituals and practices around expressing and cultivating the faith that I needed as an entrepreneur, but even as a mom, you know, like we were saying earlier, work and life is so blended. I have a three-year-old and that unlocked my heart in whole new ways, but also unlocked a lot of fear and insecurity on a whole new level as well. And so for me, using tools like journaling or even dream interpretation is a really great way for me to tap into my own intuition. And if you listen to any entrepreneur, even the big guys, I'm obsessed with the podcast, how I built this right now. If you listen to, uh, you know, nine out of 10 of them talk about gut feelings and luck of the draw. And so I'm just trying to cultivate more luck and intuition so that whenever those gut feelings do come up, I'm able to listen to them and I'm able to have faith in them. I completely agree with that. And whenever Kathleen and I started being boss, and especially whenever we went through a rebrand um, about a year after we started, we were very intentional about, you know, at least when we started about it being just very business focused, we're going to be very straightforward, very, you know, like tactics and actionable to do's and just the women who know how to talk business sort of thing. And whenever we did our rebrand though, 
we had had several conversations with, or had lots of conversations with some of our listeners. We had done our first vacation to New Orleans, our Being Boss vacation to our to New Orleans, and Kathleen and I had kind of chose that location because uh, it has a spirit that draws us both to that place very much. We're like, let's go hang out together. <laughs> let's invite some listeners. Seventy-five people later, we were there with a whole bunch of our listeners and it was a blast. And Kathleen and I are like sneaking off to get tarot readings or whatever. And then everyone wants to go get tarot readings. We had no idea. We had no idea that all of our people were just as woo as we were. And so whenever we did our rebrand, we were like, you know, how much of this do we actually want to bring into it? Because, you know, behind the scenes, Kathleen and I are always talking about our dreams and what card we pulled and, hey, what crystals in your bra right now? Like (laughs) all these fun, ridiculous things that are very personal to us. But we were really intentional that whenever it comes to the content we provide, we do want to keep it pretty straight laced. However, it would be doing ourselves a disservice to tell people to be a hundred percent who they are. If we weren't infusing a little more of who we actually are into the work that we're doing. So we do allow ourselves to pepper some of that in, um, into our content and into how we talk to people, especially in the clubhouse. You know, we do some intention settings. We talk about the moon a little bit. Um, and not enough to ever make anyone uncomfortable who's not in it with us, Um, but enough to show people that there are things outside of maybe your realm of understanding that you can explore. Because if there's one thing that we recognize in successful entrepreneurs, it's being open-minded and it's understanding that you don't know everything and there are potentially people around you who know some tips and tricks that you do not. Um, And if that's around setting intentions with the moon, then so be it. Um, But we do, we do try to keep enough of a lid on some of that so that we're not uh, totally repelling everyone. Um, But again, we don't want to do ourselves that disservice and our people eat it up in ways that we never expected. Yeah. And we also don't want to be apologetic about our, you know, fringe brand of spirituality. We, but we also want to be open to everybody. So just like if we were Buddhist podcasters, we wouldn't want to just appeal to other Buddhists or if we were Christian podcasters, just appealing to other Christians. So anytime we do mention some of our tools um, for cultivating faith or intuition, we mentioned that these are tools. We're not necessarily using tarot decks to tell our future. We're not necessarily looking at our astrological charts to, you know, say it was written in the sky that this was going to happen. Though sometimes we do. <laughs> but no, we, may we, use it, <laughs> we use it as tools for inquiry and tools to pique curiosity and tools to prompt us to see things that we might not be seeing. So we're hiring top-notch business coaches, but we're also visiting the blue-haired dreaded lady in Jackson Square in New Orleans to give us some insights as well. I wonder if that's part of the creativity because, you know, we, we, if you've ever had an idea, it's come from multiple sources at once sort of coming together and making something that wasn't there before. That's called synchronicity and magic. Just throwing that out there. A little bit of magic. So, so if you don't expose yourself to that stuff, I mean, not necessarily to that, but to anything that's outside of your normal realm, then you're never going to have ideas 
except for those that are within your normal realm. You're, you're never going to break out of that. So I wonder if it is kicked off some of that stuff by people who are more comfortable with being open to new ideas because that's where they, their inspiration comes from. And then it becomes more mainstream later. I mean, I can't tell you how many CEOs I've met in the last two or three years who have a meditation practice. And that would not have been the case five years ago even, let alone 10 years ago. So it does seem to filter through, but it has to start somewhere. And I wonder if it kind of does start in the creative entrepreneurial world. I mean, I think that there's a history of spirituality that has been very dogmatic and has a lot of rules around it. And I think just like in the entrepreneurial world, in in the spiritual world that we're hanging in, people are defining their own faith. They're bucking all the rules and all the norms and making a blend of the kind of um, faith that they want to have, whatever that looks like to them. And, you know, for so long, people have been saying, no, you can't do that. And (laughs) I think that we're of a generation that is saying, um, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> so that applies to work, that applies to life, that applies to spirituality. And so I think that there's some of that in there. Um, but uh, yeah, I do definitely see creatives as being the people who are most easily expressive with those sorts of things because and even not even generational thing. I just think like a creative person thing where we are like, you know, we're going to break the rules. We're going to do what we want. We don't care what you say or do about it. And I do think that a lot of those things, you know, come from that. I think, uh, you know, I feel like yoga at the moment was the thing that kind of began the sort of mindfulness and, and meditation and even, um, oh, who wrote the book about manifesting that I can't remember. The, the law of attraction that Abraham, yes. Abraham Hicks. Yes, that exactly. And so then this idea of, of, you know, thinking what you want and getting it has came around and you want to talk about some magic, like there you go right there. So, um, so I think these things have slowly started becoming mainstream with those very basic, those very basic principles uh, getting it started. And it's, it's starting to flower out into more, more diverse things like, like crystals or tarot or, um, or whatever else you guys can think of to get into. Um, and I do think that the creatives are the one who are doing it and are the less or the least apologetic about it. And then everyone else, hopefully, will take a cue and be a little less afraid of their own tarot cards too. Or even just a little less cynical. Like you don't have to believe in magic. I mean, you could be a total atheist and still enjoy pulling a tarot card just to get a few insights into something that you haven't thought about before. And I want to, you know, just mention in this conversation that Emily has a background in science and myself as well. Like we both love and appreciate science and methodical thinking and logical thinking, but we really love blending that with a little bit of magic. I should tell you, well, I probably shouldn't tell you, but the, the episode you did on the tarot, um, the first one with, uh, with Biddy, um, I, I, I put off listening to it for weeks. It was on my, it was on my phone, but I wasn't listening to it because I was like, I'm not going to be interested in that. That's just one of those I'm going to skip over, but I didn't take it off. And then a few weeks later, I listened to it and I thought it was so cool. And then a couple of weeks later, 
my two business besties and I had one of our regular get togethers. And I said, should we do this? Should we kick it off by pulling our cards? And I downloaded the app and we did it. And it was really amazing. It, it opened up a conversation about stuff that we would not have gone in that direction if it hadn't been for the cards. So whether you, you know, whether you believe that the app is just randomly spewing out cards that could, you know, nothing to do with spirituality or whether you really feel like you're manifesting it, it kind of doesn't matter because you've opened up this whole area for conversation that wasn't there before. Yeah. I like to think of pulling a tarot card as bringing a completely unbiased opinion or insight into a conversation. And one that won't art, well, maybe it will argue with you sometimes, but one that's not, it has no outside agenda. It's just like, all right, you want to do this project, pull a card, you get, I, I can't even like the moon because one of my favorites, you know, how can the moon and the idea of, uh, of shadow or sort of secrets or whatever come into this project? And it just brings an outside perspective. Sometimes we can get so inside our little box um, that it can be hard to see anyone else's perspective. And you may not want to bring your husband or your mom or your even your business bestie into that conversation because they're biased. Um, or you may feel judged or whatever. And I feel like the cards are a really great tool for, for just getting outside inside. But I love that you said that about that episode because we had several people say the exact same thing where it came up in their feed. They weren't going to listen to it and they finally did. And then it ended up being one of their favorites. Um, and I think, and that's key, like staying open, listening to something you normally wouldn't listen to will open you up to things and expand your horizons either by giving you something new to do or giving you someone else's insight, even if you choose to never do it. Um, I think the world is too filled with people who are too closed-minded to do anything great. Um, and I love that you decided to take a listen. Thank you. <laughs> no, it, was, it, it was great. It was great. I must say that I did get a bit obsessed about it for a few days and I was kind of doing the cards like every 20 minutes, what next, what next? And then I thought, okay, I actually have to go on sort of De decompress from this. I have to, I have to switch it off and come back to it when I've chilled out a little bit about it. You know, what's funny about you saying that is that I haven't pulled a card for about a month. And so at the beginning of the year, I was pulling a card a day and doing a lot of readings. And for me, um, that stuff really goes in cycles and even just, you know, reading self-help books, like Brene Brown or reading business books, I have to really approach those things in seasons because it can start to become a chore or it can start to become overwhelming. Um, so I don't think it's a bad thing that you became obsessed for three days and then chilled <laughs> on it a little bit. And I think that you have to just find your own rhythm with those things. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I wanted to talk to you both about, we, we haven't really talked much about it, but your audience isn't exclusively women, but it has attracted a lot of women to, to you. Um, and I just, I'm really confused about why in bigger companies, it's such a struggle for women to get into really senior leadership positions. Um, and they seem to, either they lack confidence or there's something in the system that makes it difficult for them to, to fulfill their potential, whatever it might be, institutionalized sexism. And not just, uh, not just um, women, but any kind of group that it doesn't fit the, the sort of stereotype. And yet in smaller businesses, 
women are out there, they're running their own thing, they're taking risks, they're being creative, they're, they're getting out into the world, they're demonstrating huge confidence. And I'm wondering, the, the confusion is, how come women are struggling to do that in business, but out in the world, they have all the qualities that big businesses would really love them to bring in? So many things. <laughs> So many things. I mean, the word that comes to mind is patriarchy. We're, I think that there are a lot of men that are really intimidated. I feel like there's just some systemic inherited sexism that's probably going to take us decades, if not centuries longer to bust out of. I mean, this is just my own personal feelings on it. So if you know, men aren't letting us play by their rules in a system that's been set up for them. Well, then we're going to go out and play by our own rules. Watch us. Right. I agree. And because I am the one who always goes against Kathleen's patriarchy answer to everything, um, I will step aside from patriarchy and just say rules general in general, because I do, I agree with that part. I agree with all of it, always Kathleen. But whenever you're looking just at rules, they are institutionally driven by this like male powered system and we don't want to or care to and at some point there's a breaking point and women will walk away um, because I do agree we have all the skills and abilities and whatnot but why play by your rules when we can make our own and break them as we see fit without being judged for it so um so I do agree that well okay Actually, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I also think that women have been so much more driven by rules for so much longer that I'm hoping that we're just at a point where we're going to say screw all the rules and go do our own thing. Because, um, you know, I think about I was watching who's like the previews for Pirates of the Caribbean and they're making jokes about seeing the girl's ankles because women couldn't show their ankles sort of thing. Like those sorts of really stupid rules that have ruled our worlds for so many generations. I think we're just at a place where we don't have to play by them anymore. So we won't. Yeah, I, I really get that. And I, I, I feel it's a shame in a way because it should be possible for women. And of course, a lot of women do bring all of their talents into business and they do really well and they make a really big difference, but it does seem to be harder. And, and it just seems a shame that companies are missing out on all this boss stuff that we, that we have and that, that, your audience and my mates and all of that, that, that we're doing every day. And yet somehow it's just really difficult to bring it into big companies. You know, coming back to our conversation about working harder, I think that that kind of work hard mentality and that 40 hours a week of sitting at a desk, which, you know, comes from the industrial revolution, like that, they're just very masculine dominated philosophies. So not even talking about men and women, but masculine energy and feminine energy. And so obviously women are going to embody more feminine energy. And I think that the feminine power and skills like intuition, for example, just have not been valued for decades in big business. And hopefully 
that starts to turn around. Um, but if not, we'll go build our own businesses and they'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. I think another part of that is simply the stress factor. I mean, if anyone knows how to handle stress, look at a mom with a couple of kids on her hips and then send her into a boardroom where she's then, you know, required to handle the stress created by, you know, this masculine dominated field, whatever it may be, because it is big business and she knows where she needs to put her energy and it's going to be in her own creative endeavors where she can make the impact she wants without having to babysit a grown man or whoever it may be. Um, so I think there are lots of, I think there are lots of little nuances like that, that, you know, in day to day may not be huge factors, but built up over generations have simply created an environment where women are gladly recognizing that they can make just as much of a career and life for themselves being their own boss and doing their own thing than, you know, sitting under anyone else to do what they want to do. One of the things we're kind of coming towards the end of, of, the interview, but there's a couple of things I really, really wanted to ask you about. And one was to do with brand. So I was listening to your archived um, Brene Brown, which I now realize you ran because you guys were on holiday. And so, <laughs> so you stuck one in from the archive, which I'm so grateful for because I had not heard it. I knew you'd spoken to her, but I hadn't heard the interview until last week. Um, and, uh, and she was describing how when she had worked with you guys on her brand, she had just found it one of the most painful experiences of her whole life, <laughs> um, uh, which surprised me because I would have thought that she would be really, you know, I, I also found it one of the most, every time I do it, in fact, I find it one of the most painful experiences of my life. Um, but I was surprised that she did because, you know, she's so elevated spiritually and personally and, and all of that. But anyway, the, the, what it made me wonder is that this process, because she then went on to say that she goes back to that work constantly and they all do in, in, in her organization. And it made me wonder whether, as painful as it is, if, wouldn't it be great if everybody, whether you run a business or not, kind of had to go through that process because it requires you to look deep inside yourself. And as you said, Emily, about values, it requires you to ask those questions and then to, to then live in alignment with that brand or with that self that you've identified. Is this something, you know, both of you work in the, in the kind of brand field to one extent or another. Is it, is it something that you think painful as it is, it's a, it's a kind of life experience not to be missed. Yeah, you know, it's funny. A lot of people have referred to the braid method and which is what Brene went through. A lot of people have referred to the braid method as brand therapy. And so that's a lot, it feels a lot like digging deep so that what's reflected on the outside is authentic. And I know that word gets used a lot, but it's the most appropriate one to use here is what is authentic to what's inside. And it's something that Emily and I take our Being Boss Clubhouse members through as well. It's not the braid method necessarily, and it's not about necessarily an external facing brand, but it is about aligning your values with your business model. And, you know, I was saying earlier, if more corporations had a conscience and even if more freelancers had purpose, they wouldn't be taking on 
projects where they feel like just a pixel pusher. They would be positioning themselves as experts and as authorities, and they would be doing what it is that they really want to be doing and what they're best at. So yeah, absolutely. It's a process, you know, a branding process is so much deeper than just your logo or even just your website. Um, a branding process is really going to, a good one is really going to help you understand who it is and what you want to be known for and how to properly express that on the outside. And it's also certainly a life-changing experience, as, as ridiculous as that can sound, because it's a place in your business where you are deciding to invest money and time to pour yourself into someone else and then have them give something back to you. And what we found very often is that this is, this is a major milestone in your business. And so people are, they have this like transformational moment, which is by no means a insignificant thing in these people's lives. And, you know, for this reason, Kathleen got life coach training because she realized like these people are going through so much more than getting a logo. Like these people are going through these, these life changes. Um, and is one of the reasons why I added significant amount of coaching to my website process when I, whenever I was doing websites for creatives as well, because it wasn't about just creating a thing and handing it to, handing it to them. It was walking them through it because their life was changing in this moment. And, um, and it is so many people can go into it very flippantly, not recognizing what's ahead of them and what this change will signify. Um, but as pros at it, Kathleen and I definitely see what's coming. And oftentimes we'll even see these big moments paired, these big moments in their business paired with big moments in their lives. So they're getting married or they're getting divorced or they're pregnant with their first kid or they're moving across the country, whatever it may be. So very often these, these huge moments and milestones in their business will correspond with big moments or milestones in their lives, uh, which just adds to the transformation. And again, like that can, <laughs> that may sound really ridiculous, but it's totally something that we've seen time and time again. It's not just about getting a new logo. It's about deciding who you're going to be and committing to going towards it. Um, and that is a big deal. Yeah. And so in the case of Brene Brown, she was about to go on Oprah. Talk about a life-changing moment, right? And so you have to be set up. It's a question that Emily and I ask ourselves all the time. If we were to go on to Oprah tomorrow, what is it that we want to be known for? And what do we want the viewers to do next? And if that's not a branding exercise, I don't know what is. That would freak me out. The idea that I have to go on Oprah tomorrow, I'm so not ready <laughs> to talk to her. But I think it's a great question. And, and like I say, I think it's a question that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're running your own business or not, that because it isn't about the business, really, it is about who you are, and what is your purpose, and what do you want to stand for? in this world and therefore in this case what do you want your business to stand for that to me feels like something that everyone could do and get huge value out of for all the the, the crying <laughs> that occurs you know during that process 
Right. And it, it, that happens. Like we used to joke in, in the Indie Shopography studio that I knew I was doing my job well whenever someone cried because people would come in and see either, you know, logos or website or whatever, or like hear what it is that we had, we had taken their information, distilled it down into this thing that they can use. And then just tears would happen. And then they'd walk out and we'd all high five because I did my job right or whatever it may be. Um, because it is, it's huge and there are feelings and then there's momentum and there's changing your life in one way or the other. Um, hopefully always for the better. Final question from me. What have you got coming up that is really, really exciting for you? We're writing a book. Oh, we wrote a book. Yeah. The book, the book is written. Talk about being nimble and moving fast. Emily and I wrote a book in three months and it will be out in April of 2018 um, because we are publishing it traditionally through Running Press and we're super stoked to be working with them on it. So yeah, we're writing a book. I cannot wait to see it on the best-selling shelf at the airport and in the top charts on Amazon. So making some magic happen there. And our book is called Being Boss. It's a guide for creative entrepreneurs um, who want to live and work on their own terms. So it's really taking all of the conversations that we've had on the podcast and these, you know, pillars, this foundation of what it means to be being boss and putting it in a book. So we're talking about things like mindset, habits and routines, establishing boundaries. We're talking about the work aspect of things. And we're talking about the life aspect of things. So we're kind of covering all bases and taking all the conversations that we've had in our podcast and articulating it into a book form. And we were also really careful while writing this book, whereas our podcast is very geared for creative entrepreneurs. We talk about things like email marketing and, and pitching yourself to podcasts and those sorts of things. We were very intentional about this book to make sure that we were speaking, obviously, to creative entrepreneurs because those are our people, but also people who just want to be boss in their life and work, even if they're working for big companies or corporations, um, or hopefully even like I also totally dream of like colleges having this book in their libraries or on reading lists so that college students are reading this and seeing what actually happens next. So it's not just for the creative entrepreneur crowd, but really for anyone who wants to live and work on their own terms. Yeah, even our editor who works at a publishing house, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. She was like, no, wait a second. How would this tool or tactic, specifically the chalkboard method, she was like, how would this apply to my work? And so Emily and I were on a call with her, almost coaching her as to how that kind of um, tool might work within the context of working in an organization or a corporation or a company. So yes, totally keeping that in mind. You might though read the book and want to quit your job. Don't blame us. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Well, I really, really can't wait. I, um, I mean, my listeners will know that one of the reasons I started the podcast is because I was struggling so much to write my Punks in Suits book. And so I thought I just need to get some of the ideas out there because if they wait until the book, they could be waiting till, you know, 2020 or something. Um, so I'm so impressed that you've done it so quickly. And um, we were too. I'm not going to play. We were blown away. Our team was like, what? 
how did you guys do this? And we're like, because of you, <laughs> because you guys run the show, we were able to just sit and write. Um, but also it was a really great experience writing it with Kathleen. Like the two of us were able to sit down and really knock it out. And everyone always told us like writing the, writing a book is the hardest thing you'll ever do. It'll be so painful. All of these things. We had a blast. We had an absolute blast writing this book and it came out very quickly. Um, the edits were sort of a glorious experience as well. We went into that not knowing what to expect. And uh, I really, I really hope all of the readers think it's great too, um, because we had an absolute blast writing this book. And because of that, it came out much quicker than even we expected. Well, I, like I say, I'm so excited for it to come out and, um, and I'm going to be sending it to all my clients and to my friends and, you know, I'm telling them all about the podcast all the time anyway. They're really bored of me going on about it. Uh, so <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you to them for putting up with it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So th thank you so much, ladies, for joining me uh, on this. Certainly here, it's very hot and sticky. I don't know about where you are. Where are you, Blair? I'm in the west of England, and it's been hot all week, like 30 degrees. I don't know if that seems like a lot to you, but here that is, that is like unheard of. People, <laughs> people are complaining. They want it to rain. Um, no one can deal with it. So nice. Well, I bet that probably contributes to how fab your hair is, at least when it's warm here. My hair just loves it. It's huge today. Absolutely mm -hmm. huge, my hair. Love it. I love it. That's why I love the heat. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. It has. So that's it. Listening back to that, I clearly love talking to them. Did I gush too much? I think maybe I did. Anyway, I hope you got lots of ideas and inspiration from these two charismatic women, charismatic leaders. I loved busting some of those myths about what entrepreneurs are like and what it's really like to run your own business and our conversation about making money while also still enjoying your job. It is allowed. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'm back next week, but with more information about Emily and Kathleen and with information about our new newsletter, here's the lovely Ivy Palmer. The Being Boss podcast is on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can find out more about the Being Boss Clubhouse at beingboss.club. There you can find out more about their show, reading articles and join the clubhouse. Plus, learn to podcast. Mummy took that course. To sign up for our newsletter filled with free resources and a prompt question or idea to help you see yourself and your work in a new light. Go to www.thatpeoplething.com and scroll to the bottom of any page. Leadership is changing! By sharing this podcast, you can help transform the way companies run and help business become a force for good in the world. Let's encourage more leaders to reveal the punk underneath their suit. Just hands, hug! <laughs>